just had a bit of a freak out. We have 15 full-time staff, four contractors, and we're hiring another four full-time staff. I'm thinking, have we hired too many salespeople and not enough product people? I'm thinking, what happens if these salespeople are too effective at their roles and that breaks the product team? I'm thinking, what happens if they don't sell enough and we don't get the revenue that we're expecting? I'm wondering how the hell we even make sure we wish every, everybody a happy birthday on the right day. I'm thinking, holy shit, is what I'm thinking. <sighs> Onwards. Onwards. A unicorn in business is a privately owned startup company valued at over $1 billion. We're Ben and Joel. We believe every human deserves access to a world-class education. And our tech startup, Vigo, is trying to make that a reality. Now, we're not from Silicon Valley. In fact, we're from the opposite side of the world, Australia. We have a billion dollar vision and we need to launch into the US in 12 months. In many ways, the odds are stacked against our startup, but we've just been given a miracle. The number one business coach in the world, Matt Mashari, has just agreed to coach us for one year. Matt's not your usual coach and we're not your usual founders. This is the story of that year, raw and unfiltered. Episode four, organization, structure and culture. Chapter one, fixing the product issue. For the first couple of years, Joel, Stephen, and I were basically just running around like chickens with their heads cut off. For the very first year, we were all still working in our, in our other jobs. So we were basically building Vigo while somewhat pretending to be working full-time at our other roles. <laughs> then once we could finally afford to pay ourselves a salary, 30 grand a year, Joel, Stephen, and I moved into the tiniest, tiniest little cave of an office and it became even more of a cave because the sun was so brutal that we put alfoil on the windows so we looked like a meth den. And it was just Stephen, Joel, and I about one meter away from each other just stinking and just arguing all the time. Slowly, we professionalized. We had to get lots of learning the hard way, make the mistake, feel the pain, pick ourselves up from the pavement and start again. And I still feel like I'm at the beginning of the journey. We thought we were building a product organization, but we were just building an engineering organization. And we really needed product leadership and, and product thought driving our company forward. And once we had this realization, we got really excited because we actually knew a lot of really cool people in this space. And we brought this person into the company who was just like the first time we met this person, he swept us off our feet. He, he was amazing, he was really smart. And then for the next six months, we built the worst product team you can imagine. It was just not effective. The product was not improving. We weren't going anywhere. And really we had a team that wasn't achieving anything, but just cost a lot of money. The problem we had was not actually obvious to me. The problem I took to Matt was a personnel issue because I was really frustrated with this experienced product expert that we brought into the team. What Matt saw straight away was he could cut through the bullshit that that was not the issue we were seeing. We have a head of product who I'm confident we are overpaying 
and he's not acting as a leader in any sense of the role. He is being a product manager and he's doing a pretty good job of being a product manager. However, we're paying him way too much money for that. And he now has this expectation that he is a leader, so he's involved in some ways where he shouldn't be. Got it. Okay. And so what does he do? He's essentially just spoken to a bunch of our partners and he's come up with a preliminary product roadmap for the next six months. Product roadmap, so features. So he hasn't built like out a UX design, which is much more intuitive with wireframes. No. And who's the one who's talking to customers and saying, what is your problem? Let me understand what it is. Okay, now I see this common problem amongst all of you. We can build a solution that solves that. Historically, that's Ben and I. Perfect. The people who use the product are the ones that Joel works with. Yeah, all right, here goes. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to blast you. Good. This is a what the fuck moment. All you're doing is creating a, a, a wall so that you can't see what's going on. Remove the wall. So Joel, you're the one, you're the head of product. Matt picked up on that in about a minute and, um, and nailed us on it. I joke around, but it's a little bit true. The lead product role in a startup is somewhat the chief disappointment officer. Everyone wants to run in a million different directions and there's all these things that could enable them better to go and get that million dollar deal or, or whatever it is. And the product person, they need to have a big vision, they need to have conviction and they need to be the most resilient person and say no a lot. No, that's not our vision. No, we're not doing that. They need to make all these decisions and they need to make those decisions with the full context of what does our customer really, really need. We were so naive to think that someone new could come in, understand our customers so, so deeply that they would just have all of the conviction inbuilt in them about what's right and what's wrong. I was surprised by Matt's advice and I was surprised by being told that I, I need to act in this product role. I've always cared so deeply about the product and about our customers and solving their problems. And so I'd accidentally been undermining all of our attempts at product this whole time because I had the ideas and I had the vision and I wouldn't let people take it in another direction because I wouldn't let them rip that away from me because I knew what was right. So we actually had people stepping on each other's toes which caused this huge rift and this, this huge lack of progress and this huge lack of momentum. Here's what a head of product needs to do first and foremost. Talk to customers every single day and understand what their problems are. Period, end of story. Then the head of product needs to say, oh, here are solutions we can build for those problems. Step three after that is now go build pictures of what it should look like, that's it. That's what a, a product person does. And by the way, if you have a product person who's doing steps two and three, but is not doing step one, guaranteed failure. Mm. Because then they're just building shit. And they have no idea if anyone's gonna buy it because they're not building the right shit. There's no way they can build the right shit if they're not talking directly to customers on a daily basis. I think that's the, the source of the problem. Mm because you know you're already doing it and you know what to do much more than the product person who's not talking to customers. I think in one day, you, Joel, can write out all the problems your customers have, all of the features that would solve those problems. You're not technical enough to know how hard they are to create, but you can go to Steven and in one hour, he can, you can review it together, maybe two hours, and he can rate how difficult it is to create each of those. So in 24 hours, you could have the product roadmap created. I think a big part of the mistakes we made in this space 
was having a lack of confidence in ourselves. What we needed was conviction on where the company had to go. And that can only really come from a founder because they have every piece of context, not just about our customers or our user base. They have everything. It's, it's the investment, the people, the industry. We understand that. And that was the missing piece that Matt could see straight away. You're right. A lot of it comes down to the confidence that, you know, we were civil engineers before this. So why the hell would we be better than, you know, industry people in every different role? You know, founders are supposed to be these generalists that can get the initial job done, but then get out. But there's a couple of roles in startups we've now learned that founders just cannot sub out on for a long time. One of the most crucial ones that we learned about last year was the product function. A founder has to be leading that for the first, I don't know, five to six years. I think forever. Once we made that realization and Matt helped us come to terms with that, we had to start again. And that was a really hard thing to do. And we had to let go of a lot of great people. And from there, we've spent the next six months building a really world-class product team because we had the right experience coming to help us, the right advisors. But at the center of that, we had a founder's vision. The product exists. It's existed for years. We've been making it better. It's doing a great job. That's come from somewhere. And I've been the person driving that. And uh, it was a cool feeling to, it felt like I was speaking to a career advisor at school, but they actually nailed it. And that actually nailed where I was meant to be in my life. Very quickly, I remember ringing Ben and just saying, I think this is where I am now. I think this is who I am. I am product. Chapter two, Stephen builds Vigo, Vigo builds Stephen. Stephen Hasty is Vigo's third co-founder. He's one of my best friends. Stephen played bass in our band when we did some tours around uh, the country. Uh, that was 10 years ago. And it just so happens that in the, in the next uh, five years when Stephen and I didn't speak, he was going out and becoming this amazing tech god. He's built everything that's ever been out in the world with regards to Vigo. Even when we had engineer after engineer coming into the team, he was the only person delivering any kind of value. And when you think of a developer, which is what we thought Stephen was, or what we called Stephen, he was so much more than that. So for years, we just kept telling Stephen, we know you've got to build the whole platform by yourself, but you need to become a great people manager. Ben and I made the same mistake over and over and over again. And it's because we had this foundational belief that a founder had to be a great manager. They had to manage people as well as being great individual contributors. It's just not Stephen's zone of genius. And, and it was causing him this stress and then he wasn't great at it. And because of that, we kept then being really disappointed in him for not being great at that and causing this additional stress. I'm Stephen. I'm a co-founder and chief architect at Vigo. Stop laughing. <laughs> Why are you looking at me smiling? For Ben and Joel, their focus always seemed to be around leadership and learning how to do their roles. The difference for me was that I had been an engineer my whole life, already had a passion and the skills for building exciting products. My primary focus was always to make sure the platform was built and delivered on time over everything else. So when it came to working with the people that I was supposed to be managing, that really took a backseat to everything else as there was no one else delivering product at the time. 
I was being expected to manage people who needed constant management, like daily, like multiple times a day. I don't want to make it sound like I'm talking shit on people, but that's the truth. The idea of management was never something I was really interested in. Initially, it was like a brick wall. There was definitely like a feeling that there was resentment coming from them that I was um, really bad at the management side of things. It was becoming like a pretty bad situation for him, to be honest. Like we just kept forcing him into this path that he, sh- he shouldn't have ever been in. And he actually voiced the concern with us several times. And we just kept saying, no, you need to be a manager. That's what founders do. We just couldn't see past our own belief system. So we took that to Matt because... Stephen started to feel this kind of like disconnect because we were on different paths and it was really came down to having good communication. For the majority of the history of Vigo, I actually created an environment where Stephen had to be the CTO. Mm -hmm. And if he wasn't being a great people leader and a great CTO, it was actually he was failing. Like Mm -hmm. he was failing us, he was failing me, he was failing the company. There's two thoughts that come to mind. One is... The IC track versus the manager track, this is a very common feeling that, oh, managers are more valuable, leading lots of people is more valuable. It's a really dangerous mindset to have because it's just not true. And there are plenty of ICs that are just as valuable, if not more valuable. They just don't manage people. And Facebook does a very good job of separating these two on a pay scale. They have a pay scale for ICs and a pay scale for managers, and they are equal. Being a great leader doesn't mean that you need to manage people. You can be a thought leader or like you can be an amazing individual contributor and be seen as a leader within the organization and outside the organization. And once we understood that, we really wanted to to help Stephen move into his zone of genius, which was building, which was being an individual contributor. But in typical me fashion, I wanted to make that change really quick. So I said, great, Stephen doesn't want to be a manager. Let's cut all managers out of this situation, put Stephen straight into individual contributor, change role titles, get him being in his zone of genius. I fixed it. By doing that, I was kind of perpetuating the same issue I'd already had, which is I was making decisions on behalf of someone else. And what I unknowingly did was that I started to kind of create this potential dynamic for Stephen where he, he saw that Ben and I were these leaders in this company and he wasn't a leader. He was just, a, he was just building. I'd never really brought him into that decision or brought him into that journey. Ben and Joel were off for a week or something. They came back and they said, okay, you're not an executive anymore. And it was announced to the team like almost very soon after. There wasn't much more discussion about it at the time, what it actually meant. So it did feel a bit like you asked for it. So here it is, like it's happening now. And still at the time, we didn't really understand what it meant to be a non-executive founder. It was really unclear and we didn't have any good examples of the founders who had taken different paths. And now we know about like hundreds of founders that have went down the executive path. So it seems normal now. At the time, it was like I was <laughs> breaking the wheel or something. One of the uh, terms that Stephen used uh, at one point was, I don't want to just keep being a code monkey. And I guess... Originally, that was what we were thinking is like, well, you're not a leader, you're just an operator. And for Steven, that meant oh, I'm a code monkey. You tell me what to build, I build it. The reality was that we wanted to bring him along with us so badly. And he was becoming this incredible thought leader and this person that we could point the whole company to as an example. But what we discovered is when we, when we were able to take so much of that other burden off Steven's plate, 
the whole technical leadership role suddenly could expand and could become so much more. And it, it took a little bit of time to find that expansion, but we've certainly found it now where it was just so clearly that Stephen Tech God is just leading the architecture and is being the leader of all of the engineers that work around him as well and going ahead of them and inspiring them. Chapter three, Ash just gets shit done. There's actually three issues that are all touched and tied in together. And one is Stephen changing his position. That was a, a massive one on its own. One is firing this head of product and me taking that position. And three is firing all the engineers. But on top of that, we have this huge operational hole. Operations, the HR, the people, the culture. That was sort of just this other thing that we knew someone needed to do, but we didn't know how to do it or how to give it to somebody, you know, and it just didn't seem as important as sales or building the thing, you know. And that resulted with just lots and lots of smoldering fires uh, everywhere, operationally and people-wise. Mashari helps heaps. His whole book is about operations and we've never put the focus on it is. So it's this collection of things we've tried to do for the Mashari method. Like Ash's whole six months has been implementing the Mashari method. Ashley Chapman, or as I like to call her, El Chapo, is our new chief of staff. She just gets shit done. She identified a lot of opportunities and like red flags around like, you know, lack of freedom and trust and diversity and inclusion and all stuff that we, we value, but we just didn't know how to bake into the company. She just loves to build people up. And very, very quickly, the culture inside of Vigo just started to build and build and build and build. And we started to have much more of a raving fan and friendship culture inside the business. Vigo is a startup and as part of its nature, it grows fast. It's getting juggled, it's growing horizontally or it's growing vertically. For me, culture and performance are inherently linked and you can't have good performance, productivity, retention, without having a fantastic culture where people want to come to work and are inspired to do their best work. So coming in, it was very important for me to encourage innovation, initiative, and high performance. We also now have scorecards, which means that expectations are really clear of what a person needs to do and how they're performing. Managers are the ones accountable for constantly managing them. It is on them if that person doesn't know what they should be doing or doesn't know that they're not performing at standard. I really do believe culture is the key to success. There's a bunch of different initiatives that I'm really proud to have been a part of. This includes things like getting everyone in the company virtual headsets so that they can play table tennis at lunchtime with colleagues halfway across the world. There's our exciting book club, which won Vigo's internal club of the year award. We do wear funny costumes. We have ties. We say book oaths on our favorite books before we start. And a really cool outcome or output we've seen that reflects the impact this has had is our employee pulse surveys. We do surveys and they're benchmarked against external data. And so we've seen that Vigo is in the top 10% of remote workplaces to be at, as well as the top 10% of new tech workplaces. Chapter four, opening everything up. 
the first month of having Ash was simultaneously very exciting and also very scary. As part of training the chief of staff role, Matt says that on day one, you just need to give them access to absolutely everything in your life. Everything. Your bank account, passwords, email passwords, your Slack, everything. Nothing should be hidden from them. I wanted to take Matt's advice seriously, so I just did that. I actually forgot to tell my wife that I did that. (laughs) And when she found out, she was like, what? Who's this? What have you done? Ash, is Ben actually giving you complete and full access? Like, is there anything that he withholds from you or do you have access to absolutely everything? I have access to everything except your Gmail access. We even accidentally transferred out 15 grand from my home loan to the business because we were in the wrong bank account the other day. <laughs> right, huh? It was quite confronting just to know that everything was now completely transparent to somebody and somebody knew and someone that I didn't know. And I was like, are they going to judge me? Are they going to actually see that I'm horrible on the inside? I'm, you know, I'm shit. I don't have people's best interests at heart. What actually turned out is that Ash became my biggest champion. What I immediately found is knowing that somebody else was watching, I was starting to become way more organized in everything that I was doing. Just, I was adding that additional layer of thought of like, well, is this the best use of my time? And is Ash gonna think that? So it already started to have some benefits there, but within a month, Ash had just started taking more and more and more and more off my plate. You know, we'd go to an investor meeting and she would be like, okay, I've written up all the notes. Here are the top five actions. Do you agree? Great, I'm going to go do them. Are you happy with that? I think everyone else in the company was just really glad to have somebody else working really closely with the founder who wasn't a founder, who was quite different to the founders, knowing that that person was challenging the founders as well and keeping us all with a level head. Chapter five bringing the leaders together. In startup world, you know, all the leaders are just running at a million miles an hour and you need to bring everybody together once a quarter so that you can just realign everybody and talk about everything that happened and what went well, what didn't work well, when did we get it right? And the very first one that we ran pre-Ash, it was good. We we definitely had some social moments, but we also had some really brutal uh, moments as well. So the whole two, three days was just very volatile, super highs, super lows. And one of those uncomfortable moments and one of those arguments was between me and Jamie. Jamie is our VP of partners and leads up our sales and customer success arms. Sales wanted us to build what we were selling and we wanted sales to sell what we were building. It was hard to get on the same page that we actually both wanted the same thing. We had (laughs) some yelling matches about that and had some arguments and some debates and a lot of tension about that. Jamie, this is one thing I've already told you to your face, so hopefully it's not new use to you. I believe Jamie cares more about the growth of sales than about the growth of Vigo. What I'm actually really scared about is that we're relying on sales revenue, which we haven't got. So I'm scared we'll run out of money. Jamie, obviously a bit here, did you want to comment? I think exactly the same thing about a product team, but the product team doesn't generate money. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> At, at any point. So I, I don't know what that what you mean by like I care more about sales and value. Over that. No, look, look, no, hey, hey, everyone. <laughs> the reason that we are in this game is to balance the shit that most people can't balance, and this is the this is the scales here. And you know, 
I think this is a total healthy place to be. We hadn't put a lot of thought into how we were going to run these sessions and make them a success. So when Ash came, got involved and ran the next offsite, it was 10 times better because she had planned everything out well in advance. When we had our first offsite, everyone went away feeling just crushed. I was like, well, we're cutting that. I'm, <laughs> I don't think that's right for us. And after the offsite, everyone said it was their favorite offsite to date. <laughs> we were in Gryffindor robes. Apparently it was the only house in stock. Silence. <laughs> Sit on the ground around the table and shut up. <laughs> shut the eye up. I will shut that fuck up. <laughs> Everyone close your Wait, eyes. are you recording this for the podcast? <laughs> close your eyes. Breathe in. Hold. Welcome. Welcome to the Q1 Vigo offsite. Vigonauts, Vigo's generals of war. Our true enemy is not Cronus. Our true enemy is inequality in education. All of the world's problems need all of the world's minds. But our world is unjust. Our education system excludes the many. Yeah, that was, uh, that was extreme. Extreme fun, I will say, as well. I hope everyone else was taking it as fun and not seriously. But who knows? <laughs> finally, the founders were in the right roles and we finally were in our zones of genius. And we had someone that could actually help us solve those other fires that were coming up. Everything was finally starting to fall into place. But that doesn't mean the personal side of things can't flare up. So next week is all about personal habits. Matt takes this very seriously and for good reason. Joel pointed out to me in our one-on-one -on -one yesterday that I looked like I had reached my end and I needed a break. Something's definitely up. <laughs> Are you in? Subscribe to the Unicorn Launcher on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss out. The Unicorn Launcher is a Lower Street production.